1: Now here are your hosts: Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, Pure Red yeah, a transcend race hombre. Matt Butler, I don't talk, man. I back it up, and we are sock full of that. man. That's right. And Jeff Howe, it's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Custom Cold sets so. up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24 7. I am Jeff Howe as we continue our social distancing measures. We are uh, on location, not in the normal studio, but we're still making it work. Uh, let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, how are you doing, man? Doing
0: pretty well, man. Yourself?
1: Uh, I'm good. And uh, he's a Renaissance man, and he's making sure that we're staying clean and sanitary while we're here. <laughs> on location. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All-America 2002 finalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL <laughs> career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL when he was done with football. Got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres where he earned his degree whenever that T-ring comes back in. We will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. As always, much appreciated. Rod, we haven't to really talk about this. How are you handling quarantine and uh, social distancing?
2: Uh, I'm pretty good, man. I mean, I'm just trying to do my part. People think I'm a little extreme some of my uh, for my measures that I'm taking, but you know, I wipe everything down. I, if I get sick, I to say this: If I get sick. Everybody's getting it. That's what I'm saying right now. Yeah. Everybody's getting it, and ain't nothing you could do about it if I get sick. Because I'm probably about as extreme as you can get. Me and my girlfriend have turned our garage into basically a decontamination center <laughs> where I have to strip. I'm not joking. I have to strip. Like yeah, your outdoor clothes. No, 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 I, I Before I come out, everything that had been exposed to the elements, I strip and I go basically go shower. Yeah. And then I put on different clothes, and boom, that's how we do it. So, like I said, if I get sick, then y'all know. Y'all are all going to get it. What, you can do about it. Don't even stress about it. As I said before, <laughs> Rod,
1: Rod doesn't get sick. He's got the immune system of an alligator. So
2: I don't get sick very often either. That's true. that yeah, be I do doubled get it, down. I hope, I'm, I'm praying I'll survive. But black folks are getting, being taken out at a disproportionate rate. The COVID is also racist. We found that out. It doesn't discriminate. Uh, BS. It discriminates. You don't like old people and black people.
1: Well, one thing I want to do <laughs> to shed some some good light. We, we've always been wondering, Matt and I have, man, does... Does somebody have video or photos <laughs> of Rodby when he signed his letter of intent with the University of Texas on Rod signing there? Because as Rod's talked about, he wore the rich white man hat when yeah. he signed. That's yeah. your description. That's not mine or Matt's. That's your description yeah. of the hat you wore. Got it
2: from Academy, I believe. Rich White Man yeah. hat. It was a it was legit, man. It was it was stylish back then. Well Styling.
1: I still don't know if a photo exists, but thank you very much, Aunt Geronimo at CBS Austin. The man. great Aunt Geronimo. He's the man. Uh, for posting this on his Twitter account. I'm going to play oh, this, man. Rod. This is an interview you did in uh, February of 1999. I
2: remember this, too. Jeff
1: Power <laughs> at KI, <laughs> which now CBS Austin, uh, from oh, when man. you signed your letter for Ted. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I, yeah, I think I've seen this on Twitter. Okay, yeah. here go we ahead. go. Um, you know, because I feel
2: more comfortable there, you know, it's, it's a real good atmosphere, you know, and, I like the way coaches do things at Texas. You know, they say if you do things, just do it all the way. Like the hat. Give me one of those hats, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so just the best school for me and I feel. Part there
1: of- you go, a young, a young Rod Babers. <laughs> oh man, dude, that's crazy. You were still Rodrick Babers at that dude, point. Dude,
2: that is wild. Even hear uh, myself talking back then about Texas. Yeah, um, I, I think when I was referring to Texas doing it big. You know, think about what Mac Brown was selling back then. He was going to complete the stadium and we were going to come in with the number one recruiting class. And, you know, everything was going to be bigger and better. We we're going to win a national title. So in my eyes, like Texas was doing it a big, doing it about as big as any university could have done that I was that I was considering at the time, which was what A&M, Colorado, Penn State. Florida State with my last five. You guys what? were
1: also going to be in Nike school and get rid of those Reebok jerseys with the size like Max said five that. times too big. Max
2: said that before when he's recruiting everybody. He was like, we're going to be Nike. Don't worry about that. You know and I mean? you can
0: tell just from that package, all the players that had committed their apparel, it wasn't almost uniform with the way within a year or two, The Mm -hmm. apparel business just with UT exploded, and all the kids, and you could see everything, but it was sort of like that last year, when that Reebok year, Mac had the verbal commitment or whatever, and that was... That was still whenever it was the coaches would get, like, shoe deals and the coaches, whereas, like, the infancy, the way that you were, like, Coach K and Nike or Bayhine and them were able to sort of get the the under-the-table deals, and then they became standardized school deals, and then, like, you brought it up then that back in those days, pre-FAME or pre-Texas, it was Roderick, and it reminded me of pre-FAME. Mike Jordan, that it needed the filter of fame, (laughs) the filter of being on a national display. Basically, when a whole mass audience gets to consume you without knowing you, how they label you. And just like how you, before, your personal life, you were always Roderick, but then it just takes one quick portal to go to UT, and you have this massive... Entity that then has you just quickly one per- person references you as Rod, you're Rod for life. I think it was and, Mac, actually. And
2: Mac was the one that was calling me Rod.
0: And that's the honestly. same way with Mike Jordan, that yeah. he was Mike until he hit that shot, and then he was known forever by the everybody across the land that was Mike Old Jordan. And it's just sort of crazy how, like, you can be labeled by the people that don't know you just from one quick shot at fame and one time yeah. your life's changed.
1: You know, if I'm not mistaken, they try to. Do that with Roderick Muckleroy. Just go with shorten it to Rod. Yeah, and he pushed back. And he's like, no, it's Roderick.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and then it no, was Muck.
1: He yeah. actually went by Muck, like he shortened uh, his see, last name see, instead. Yeah,
2: I think I'd rather Rod than Muck or but Babe. I would say that Rod is it's more marketable. It. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, it, it, rather than Roderick, I don't know. I'm trying to think of famous. It's like the inverse of, I'm Mike to think and of Michael. Famous Rodericks out there. No, Roderick. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of famous Rodericks. They usually turn into a Rod, or they're just not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could isn't. if you really do it, but I think in terms of marketing, if you do talk about your, you know, that filter of fame, I think it becomes Rod pretty quickly.
0: I think you're right. You know I know can't I mean? think of one. Like there was a kid a growing up in my neighborhood really that we called Crazy Roderick, but
2: that was it. Rod. See, yeah, now no famous Rodricks. Got to be yeah. a Rod.
1: Could have got you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, could have got you that Rowdy Roddy Piper hot Rod shirt to wear. The ride Boom. Make yourself a little. Make yourself a little more famous ride. There
2: you go.
1: Um, so we're going to talk some NFL draft today, but before we do that, gentlemen, we got news to talk about. A football news.
0: Yeah. How about other than that?
1: just a press conference or a chat or anything else with Tom Herman's got going on. We definitely appreciate Tom Herman's time uh, during this downtime. And it's like he said, hey, he's got nothing else to do. He's got just block out some time to answer some questions and whatnot. Tariq Black, the Michigan wide receiver, we've heard about this for a while. He's been the one name in the grad transfer market that Texas has been looking to potentially add. Rod, he announces it Tuesday night. He's coming to Texas. We don't know when he's going to physically be on campus because we don't know when anybody's physically going to be on campus again. But here's my take on what this move means with Tariq Black. I think there's two different layers to it. I think, one, for the receiver position itself – you're taking a guy – and here's the key thing to remember. Yes, he's had two really bad foot injuries while yeah. he's was in Michigan, one on each foot. So that's key to remember. So he's not the same type. He's the explosiveness, the vertical speed, the stuff he had before to go along with his skill set. Mm-hmm. When it looked like – I mean, he came to Michigan at the same time as, as Donovan Peoples-Jones, and that first spring he was on campus, there were people talking about him. This guy's got legit NFL potential. Maybe he's not that type of guy anymore. Texas doesn't need him to be that type of guy because if he can just be – that prototypical X receiver, which is a skill set Texas doesn't have right now, losing Colin Johnson. Yeah, that big, big body guy you can put into the boundary. He can go win 50-50 balls. He can use his body to make himself a, a good target on mm-hmm. on clutch downs or third downs or fourth downs, like Colin Johnson was. If he can just do that. It alleviates pressure on Brendan Eagles to kind of not overextend him and ask him to do things he's not comfortable doing. You can continue to bring Marcus Washington along at a steady pace. You don't have to rush Troy O'Meary. You don't have to basically ask guys to, to do more, get them out over their skis and overextend them. And two, and Arad, I think this, is, this goes back to the Mike You're such hire, and kind of everything we've talked about with this offense going into 2020. How do you maximize the last year you've got with Sam Ellinger? This window you've got with Sam Ellinger, you've got one more year. How do you maximize that? I think this is Tom Herman saying, we've got a chance to add a guy that brings a dynamic to the offense we don't have, and if he's healthy, he can bring that dynamic. We'll mm-hmm. see if he, how healthy he is, but I think this is just Tom Herman saying, I'm not leaving anything to chance. If I can surround Sam Ellinger with as many weapons as possible, that's exactly what I'm going to go do. Yeah. <laughs> that's true.
2: A camera <laughs> one. <laughs> I was like, uh, what? Uh, A duck. <laughs> what was? It? I thought you were going to ask what that was. and his children. Oh, I want know. All right, it <laughs> was good. There we go. Black go wrong. Okay. Um, okay. The thing that I think is interesting though about Tariq Black, and like I said, all of this hinges on him being able to stay healthy. Yeah. That's been the thing that's been holding him back. Uh, his durability, right? He hadn't been able to stay healthy. Foot injuries, I believe, both of those years, his freshman and his sophomore years. But he's 6'3", close to 220. I think Brendan Eagles is around 6'3", 230 or 225, somewhere Mm -hmm. around there. So you're talking about a lot of size. I happen to think that Ussage is going to move around Eagles and move around Black. Even though I know the pro spread, as Tom Herman says, usually that – that X, which was Colin Johnson, he's he's always on one side of the field, and you can pretty much kind of predetermine where he's going to be. They didn't move him around a lot. They started moving him around a little bit later on after we yelled and screamed. He must have been listening to the Longhorn Blitz podcast. Started putting him in motion a little bit. He's seen some slot formations. Finally used a bunch versus Utah. God, finally used a bunch. And for some reason they thought it was like some groundbreaking, <laughs> progressive uh way of thinking. We're like what did they call it? They're like. Uh, oh oh They did call it. They called it something special. They, it, did, yeah. they did. They, 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 they it did. It wasn't the
0: starburst because no, that's what did. OU called it. They had a
2: special name for it because they th- they said the Utah coverages dictated that they could exploit them by being in a bunch formation. I'm like. You yes. can exploit every, every coverage. coverage by being in my transformation.
0: That's like it's the not. Peggy Hill special, in my opinion, state insert right. fact here.
2: Uh, but anyway, I happen to think he'll move these X's around, and I think that's good for Tariq Black and Brendan Eagles, and I think it's gonna be better for the offense. You'll get some matchup advantages when you start moving them around and then you start putting, you know, that H receiver potentially outside, sometimes matched up, oh, on a safety or a linebacker, or oh, they thought a safety you could guard Jordan Whittington or Jake Smith out of the backfield. So I think you'll do some funky things formation wise with it. You should say his, his, uh, his, his phrases, uh, players, formations, in plays. Yep. And I think because of that philosophy, y- these bigger wide receivers, I think they'll be able to take advantage of some, some matchups that they'll be uh, kind of the blueprint of the offense will get them matched up on. Yeah.
0: And now there's multiple versions of, say, one ver- to where, like before, if you had Eagles and didn't have somebody that maybe had the same type of skill set, it would almost pigeonhole him into that role more. But now the, yeah. if you get more like bodies, it's just more things for the defense to think about and more possibilities and then can get depth there. So then you can maybe move around the other pieces if, say, one can be serviceable, just backing up the other.
1: I, I think what you're talking about, Rod, I think a lot of that's going to depend on timing and how much time, like when can you physically get him in there and and get him in front of Mike Yurcich and Andre Coleman to learn the offense, learn what he's supposed to do. That's why, for me, I'm setting the bar a little bit lower just in terms of, okay, if he can be this guy. Like like I said, Brennan Eagles can play the X, I think, especially in this offense when, you know, before Tariq Black, before this all kind of became finalized, we talked about it last week, like how do you replace Colin Johnson, okay, from a skill set standpoint, you really can't. But how do you manufacture what he brought to the table? Well, you do it by accentuating what these guys do best with, with Brennan Eagles. Just give him more options on the route tree. Yeah, and we great. saw last year, yeah. like, hey, oh, the backside drag, yeah, he can he can do that. And he can do different things other than just running verticals. So, uh, to me, it's just start start small with Tariq Black. Just say, hey, can you, be, can you be this guy? Can you be the jump ball guy, the 50-50 ball guy, the guy yep. that we can, you know, on – Third and six, can we throw you a, a quick out into the boundary and, and you'll be there right at the sticks to to make a play. You know, that type of guy. And then if you can if he can get a quick feel for that, then I think you have kind of expanded and opened up. So mm-hmm. I'm not disagreeing at all with what you're saying, Rod. We talk again, we talked to we were blue in the face last year about how you need to do more, you need to be more creative, you need to get guys on the move, highlight your matchups. I'm all for that. Me in my mind, I'm just thinking, okay, let's let's kind of baby step this thing a little bit.
2: Well, especially with his offseason, that's a good point.
1: Yeah. You got anything else to add on that, Well, just
0: if he can conceptualize the offense, how fastly he can be integrated into it. You know, that's the type of thing when you have some grad transfer guys are guys that are the veterans, but – you're coming from something that's a foreign offense to where you're at now. So you may think it may be time since he's a grad transfer that he could come in seamlessly. And those are just the case-by-case bases that are already hard to predict and then this offseason even tougher to predict. So when you see his skill set, you can sort of – can hope to see where he fits in but it's all about how he can conceptualize into the offense
1: I just you know I continue to of all the things Tom Herman's done guys I mean this is the one that maybe I give him the most credit for is continually not being satisfied with where the roster is Mm -hmm. and you're constantly on the hunt to can you add a Juco guy can you add a grad transfer you got a hole here how do you how do you maximize this roster that you've gotten this season and Look, that's something that I hammered Mac for for a long time because I never understood. Mm -hmm. Namely, with Mac, it was the reluctance to pursue JUCO guys. Yep. And, you know, it was like once, you know, Donald Hawkins kind of worked out, I was like, oh, yeah, JUCO guys aren't that bad. It's like, well, we've been telling you for 10 years now. Juco guys aren't that bad
2: Didn't he have a couple Like early on was like Was Was Rafael Randall Wasn't a Juco guy Was, was yep. he a Juco Technically
1: guy? he was a Juco yeah. guy But you know with Big, Big Cat, Cat it was, was a little Juco bit It was guy. a little bit different Because they recruited him Out of high school and,
2: I know uh, So yeah I mean, Brian was Bradford
1: just... was a Juco guy Wasn't he
2: I think he had a couple early on. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think, it was but basically
1: right. from 2000 he, to he 2010, never, he, he didn't always, deal with them. But
2: back then, I will say there was a stigma about JUCO guys, for whatever reason. I mean, that's why, you know, K-State was like the island of misfit toys, right? Because they had so many JUCOs. There was a stigma about it, about JUCOs and about transfers and all that kind of stuff, too. Uh, I think these days, uh, guy, I mean, coaches are willing to, to roll the dice more on JUCOs because they understand there are a myriad of different reasons as to right. why guys end up at a JUCO. Yeah. And, always. He was trouble. And, you know, he's a knucklehead. knucklehead Matt stuff. had
0: basically got the program to where he felt as if almost like he had gotten above that level and didn't need that. And it took a year like 2010 to level back down and realize, no, That's we true. need to fill gaps and fill holes. Because it was from Alfio Randall until about 2011 that Texas even looked into do-kill okay, yeah. guys. And it took that 2010 season happening for him to sort of recalibrate how he had viewed it and realized, well, you know, if I'm getting beat by all these Juco guys on these other teams while well, my guys that I have offered early, kept, and brought in, he's like, no, there's a balance here that we need to be able to marry between
1: the two. I think some of that came from Stacy Searles too because Stacy Searles yep, came the from new kind staff. of that, that Nick Saban Will Muschamp school of, hey, you want me to get this offensive line fixed? I can't just fix it with high school guys. i got to get some guys in here. Some grown men up here. Yeah,
2: Yeah. who have been proven already. I will say this, too. You brought up Tom Herman and how there are certain aspects of his philosophy about roster management which, you know, you, you really, uh, you, you, are, you believe that they're favorable not only uh, to, to help the roster and to build the roster, uh, but also I think they are, they're, the continuity, they helped with the continuity of the overall team. <coughs> Think about it. You just brought up, you know, the, the JUCO thing and him kind of strategically picking out JUCOs. We mm-hmm. brought up the fact that, you know, when they recruit guys, it seems like they have a contingency plan for them. Like, uh, you know, if, if Rojo can't play uh, quarterback, I, right, you know, we can play running back, or yep. you know, this guy if he can't play this, he can play linebacker. So they always have a, like, a contingency plan or a backup plan for a play. Even DeMarvion Overshield, which also helps with, you know, roster overall roster management. You yep. guys, you know, we talk about the bus rate a lot, right? That helps decrease the bust rate and so I think there are some little things that he does that that and when he came in initially we had all the you know the offensive identity crisis for Texas you you had the the, the they were how the positions that were bereft of talent right quarterback running back tight end, hell, offensive
1: line just pretty much the entire and offense. And yeah, basically
2: yeah you could say the whole offensive line but yeah we were in the midst of an offensive identity crisis and yet he came in and I'd say probably within two years Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of those positions, those position rooms were filled with what you would call talented depth, but it was unproven. It was yeah. a lot of got talented guys there, so he's really good at that. I I would say as a as a coach, one of the things that I would uh, compliment him on is his overall his roster management philosophies. Yes, yeah. And the development that's a different discussion than mm-hmm. roster management. But his roster management has been pretty damn good. His philosophy on quarterbacks, recruiting two every other year. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it, if it, like it all makes sense to me. Tight ends, because his pro spread philosophy. That's kind of the connection between the pro ideology and the spread philosophy. A lot of the things in terms of his roster management, I really, really do like.
0: Yeah, because if you like development, you can still manufacture something out of that player because of his versatility and find out another way to where it doesn't go from being, okay, well this one guy, say that this one quarterback or this one corner, if he cannot be that position, now it's a bust, that's a real quick way to failure. There's only one way to failure. And if it fails, you can really stack those up quickly and now your 85 man roster really can be deteriorated if you don't do that. If you have guys that can then switch over and you get something out of it. It's what we've been talking about the last few weeks but we see it across the board and at multiple positions it isn't just a guy yeah. changing down the d line it's switching to the other side of the ball or yeah. something along those lines which was something that maybe was more foreign to previous staffs
2: yeah no he builds in fail safes within his uh, yeah. blueprint which i like the mm-hmm. uh, you know
1: development Football as you players. said rod that's that's a different story i mean that that's, a different story and that's He's, that's to be determined i mean the book the, the book is still jury's still very much out on whether this program can wholesale develop guys and get them ready for the next level and I think what the NFL draft showed it showed a lot of numbers but I think one number it showed hey if you're winning a lot of college football games you're probably going to end up producing a lot of really high draft picks so the correlation is obviously there Mm -hmm. um and and I don't want to get too far into the draft discussion right now but getting back to Tariq Black again you know Texas I think now has developed, you're developing a really good reputation for grad transfer players. You know, you got, with, sure. the, with the exception of Trent Domain, who you know, was, I think we could all agree, kicking, kicking in 2016 left a lot to be desired. <laughs> uh, you know, Kendall Moore kind of was what he was, but he at least got you through a year where you ran out of bodies at tight end. Had it not been for him to say you were in a world of hurt would have been a gross understatement. Trey Watson was great the one year he was here. Mm-hmm. Calvin awesome. Anderson was great the one year he was here. Awesome. I think you know people can debate how good Parker Braun was here, but you yeah. got 13 starts Getting out of him the left same. guard. Yeah. You got
2: starting reps out of him. He was yeah. the
1: second team All Big 12 guys So I do think Texas is. I think Tom Herman has a really good feel for for how to handle the grad transfer market. And I think what really helped you with Tariq Black was there was a relationship there with his high school coach and Chris Ash. Uh, because Chris Ash had recruited uh, Tariq Black from Connecticut. Chris Ash recruited that school when he was at Rutgers. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of different things that, that came together. But I, again, I, for me, other, outside of the Sam Ellinger stuff and, and helping the receiver position, I just think the fact that Tom Herman just, again, continues to not leave any stone, even at a time where guys can't, you can't bring a guy on campus for a visit, you can't go see him. Even now, you're still comfortable adding this piece, which, Rod, that, that's the other thing I want to get into. And one of the things that's going to come up from this that people are going to ask, okay, other than the injuries and how healthy is Tariq Black, why did he leave Michigan? How did it end at Michigan? And I think you're going to hear some different things. And then checking, uh, you know, with some sources close to that Michigan program, it sounds like probably towards the end of his time at Michigan, I think both parties at that point were kind of like, okay, I think everybody needs a fresh start here. So, but to me, that doesn't really matter. I think you see a guy now, and Rod, you can attest to this, I think early in your college career, probably all you're thinking about is how quick can I get out of here and get to the league? And probably by the end, when you've been through the injuries and things Tariq Black's been through, probably by the time you get to Texas, you're thinking, all right, how do I just make the most of this situation I'm in right now and this opportunity I've got?
2: Yeah, I think uh, everybody wants to make it to the NFL when they first get to college. But most of the guys, by the time they're seniors, they just want to play they just want to win. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I think he's at that that point now where yeah, he's been through some hardships. He understands that this thing could be coming to an end for him. His football career could be coming to an end. Uh, he would like to play, I'm sure, you know, at a professional level. But he knows now he's got to maximize every bit of this experience. Uh, and he's got to get he's got to get the most out of it as a player. He's got to be the best version of himself uh, here. His what has he got? Two years to play one, or one. He's
1: a two to play one.
2: He has two years to play one. So whatever that situation, so I guess he could redshirt technically. Technically, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's not enough time to get
1: acclimated. But he he won't. Um, But if something
0: were to come up, you get buried. Yeah. Oh, but you know what? I
2: will say this: if it's off season. Hey, because yeah. he, he Tom Herman's a very player-friendly guy. We know that. Tom Herman has you know, uh, praised players that have transferred within the same damn conference and been like, hey, man, it's all good. Like, oh, I, mean, uh, I mean, he's done that a couple of times, actually. Not a couple of times, but he did it once. with John Bonney. John Bonney. Thank you very much. From Houston, Lamar. I should remember that name. Um, but he's a very player-friendly guy, and I wonder if Tariq Black can go to Tom Herman and go, this is a crazy offseason. Mm-hmm. I want to play here but i don't want to waste my experience i want to get i want to be the best version of myself i would love to have an entire off season to learn the system mm. to also you know get back in the weight room all that and i wonder if he'll say man redshirt me and let me play in 2021 Well, not knowing how and, this year is going to go. i mean just, just, just go. you don't know how this year going to go You're just yeah you having may not that even as have a possibility yeah.
1: And that as so a possibility
2: that if, if he's like yeah, i'm not i'm not want a redshirt man anyway just random no
1: but here's where that might make some sense and again well, you could get to, if guys aren't allowed back on campus in August, maybe Tariq Black's like, look, I really like Texas, but, you know, I want to be able to give you guys everything I've got. We, we don't know. We're just kind of spitballing yeah. here because that's all we can do right now. There's, uh, I didn't know about this rule change until Mike Roach, our outstanding recruiting editor at Horns 24-7, made me aware of it. There's Take been the a change, There's been a change in the grad transfer guidelines, if you will, that guys who transfer, it used to be just you're transferring to a school that offers that were they have a graduate program that's not offered at your current school mm-hmm.
2: oh that was part of the that's that was how part, it of, that was
1: part of the previous grad transfer something
0: uh, you were going to go into that wasn't offered there the deal
1: yeah. now apparently is if you grad transfer you can continue undergraduate studies at your new school hmm. so if Tariq Black's interested and maybe he has Certain number of credits at Michigan, and he's interested in, hey, oh, I got you. I'm i X number. A dual degree. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. you know. Whatever it is. I want to go exactly. major
0: in the communications here. I can. Whatever,
1: yeah. yeah, whatever the case is. So that could be a situation, around where what you're talking about, maybe that appeals to him. I don't know. But like I said, when you get a grad transfer guide, and we heard the redshirt stuff about Parker Braun, and I think all of us sat here and talked about it last spring. Right? No, if. If you're getting a, a grad transfer offensive lineman, you're getting him to play right now. Well, and yeah. if he
0: had been a starter type guy, not like, say, multiple injuries, the way black situation is much different than that.
1: So, as of right now, we all thumb, thumbs up on this move? It's a great yeah. move.
0: Great upside that comes with it, too. Yeah. And like When you look, think about him and his situation, like you have the top-end talent, but then you have injuries, and then we can just – You know, if you've watched Michigan football at all over the last four years, not the best passing game. So, for a senior or a guy nearing the end of his career, not a good spot if, say, you already had maybe issues or playing time or injuries keeping you off the field and then... You aren't going to be in a place that if you are healthy, you're going to be showcased or that advantageous being able to transfer to a conference where it showcases the ability to throw the ball and his skills. If he's good enough, he may actually have more of an inflated production or just have more eyeballs on his production because he actually come to the Big 12 to look for receivers and things along those lines. So his fit here really does work out well and then you add on the idea that well you know you had a guy like say Parker Braun that transferred in and he was the immediate success and did it in because it filled a gap and filled a hole at a position of need this is more of one where you're coming in for that top end upside but it's still somebody that Texas has a void that needs to be filled so it sort of can marry the two even though he hasn't had the on-field success worst case scenario it's a guy that only takes up uh, scholarship for one calendar, year, maybe possibly two, but it's only one, so it doesn't even hamper, say, your future classes or future numbers or anything along those lines. It can only possibly help you in a burst.
1: It does, it, do, it will, it will, it could potentially hurt you because he will count against your initial counters that you can take this year. So, yeah. from that standpoint, yeah, talk but about that's early.
0: if he's productive and earning the time.
1: Well, but when you talk about early enrollees and stuff like that, so it is a number regardless of how you slice it, like it is a number. So you you hope to get something out of it. But Rod, to me, this is more this is less Parker Braun, Calvin Anderson, and more Trey Watson. Like, okay, I'm not recruiting you. I'm not asking you to come in and be the guy you were three years ago, with Trey Watson at the ACL. I'm mm-hmm. not asking you to be that guy. We just need you to be this guy. And really all you really need Tariq Black to do is really bridge the gap until you get to 2021 where, okay, now you've got Marcus Washington with more experience under his belt. You've got Brendan Eagles.
2: Veteran. Yeah, veteran. so, you know, that that's... And, uh, and then by then, you're Jordan Whittington, Jake Smith experiments in the H. You should have more clarity there as well. Right. And how and that's going to work I, out. And I
1: know Brendan Eagles is draft eligible this year, and I've seen him on some draft watch lists already, like, can... Can we just stop putting the cart before the horse on mm-hmm. some of these guys? Like we've seen one year out of Brennan Eagles. But those Brennan, are just he did prospects some, well, and well, body granted, type. Brennan, he did some really good things, but let's mm-hmm. not get carried away with thinking I mean, if he is, great. If he if it ends up being the Brennan Eagles leaves and he's a you know, second round, third round pick, whatever, then yeah. Just, Good for him. Let's see if he can well, run a
2: six-route first.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right now yes. all
2: he runs is like three different routes. Let's see if he can mm-hmm. expand his route tree a little bit, and then we'll start talking about his draft stock.
1: To me, to me <laughs> there, are, there are two guys at Texas who are underclassmen who I think you can legitimately have the NFL conversation about, and that's Sam Cosme and Joseph Osai. you I. I have it about
2: Caden Stearns. Yeah, I, Stearns for sure. I, I think Stearns is another guy you have have
1: it about. I, I throw Jalen Green in there maybe on the French. And just be, just because just, just because of his body size. type skill yeah. set a and how... James yeah, really looks like an NFL corner. Yeah, well, and that's really where s- I
0: would throw Stearns for that sure, but Sterns even said, a B.J. Yeah. Foster, if he's healthy, because we haven't even seen a fully healthy version in just with his body type, the way it aligns. The same way the people talking about Eagles aren't Texas fans. Those are going to be draft people that are just looking across the scope and looking at, uh, this guy's this size, this speed, he's a power five guy, we're going to need 20 wide receivers that are going to get drafted out of seven rounds. Who can even be the possibilities of those to where if you're looking at the micro... The only one realistic to think would be like a Cosme or a Stearns. But if you're looking on the macro overall where which body types, which guys were highly recruited, which ones may work out there, then you can add in those fringe guys around them.
1: So let's go ahead and talk about the draft. Uh, Just from the standpoint of, and Rod, you and Matt, I know you follow the league more than I do. Rod, you follow it more than even Matt does. Um, If I had to rank the fits, in terms of where the three draft picks went, yeah. I, I, it fits like a glove with Devin DuVernay in Baltimore. Which mm-hmm. oh uh, Do the Ravens ever have a bad draft?
2: Uh, um, it's been a long time. I don't yeah. know if I, yeah, it's been a long time. Even going there, from Ozzie
1: yeah. Newsom to Eric DaCosta, they still – you look at their draft, you're like, wow, the Ravens got better. And we've said that, like, for – Yeah, John Johnson. Harvin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It all fits. Yeah, I agree with that. So – I love the fit with Devin DuVernay in Baltimore. I think Brandon Jones, depending on what the Dolphins ask him to do, could end up being a really good pick. There were some people, rather that didn't like that pick. But, again, I think it goes to what are they going to ask him to do. If they're going to ask him to be a nickel guy, a coverage guy, I think we agree. And it seems like that's an organization that, by drafting Tua and with the uh, – a head coach who's still in his infancy as a head coach, Mm -hmm. and Brian Flores, it seems like that organization is like, okay, we're going to build this thing through the draft and we'll give it some time. Yeah. Where we could grow a little bit.
2: I like that Brandon Jones fit. I think it's a really good fit. Brian Flores is going to use Brandon Jones the right way. The Belichick disciples, Saban, Patricia, I mean, you name them, mostly they want to play man to man coverage. Even Romeo Cornell, they play. They believe the ideal coverage there. The dogma of Belichick is that the ideal coverage is man free. It's the perfect coverage. The only problem with that is not everybody has the horses or the personnel that can play right. man-free. If you can, if you got the horses to do it, then do it. Uh, that's why Patricia usually, wants, you know, he, he errs on the side of coverage, which I don't know why he traded away Quandre Diggs. That's still ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Belichick, too. Belichick's a coverage guy. And look at the Dolphins in the draft. They drafted another corner in the first round, Noah Ig- uh, Igbenagani? I can't Igbenagini? pronounce uh, I don't know. Whatever. I, he
0: reminds me of Ibogaine Effect.
2: Yeah, he's, so I think it's Noah Igbenagani, but I could be wrong. The corner from, uh, from Auburn. The corner from Auburn. He's a really good player. But they have the two highest paid corners in the league, obviously, and arguably, in Xavier and Howard and Byron Jones. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're still going to have three cover guys, three lockdown corners, essentially, on that team. And they want a safety also that can cover. Brandon Jones, even though I wouldn't want him on the back end playing zone, or it's my deep field, middle field safety, one thing he's really good at is coverage. You could argue he's the best coverage defender for Texas last year, even in that LSU game. LSU is picking on everybody in that damn secondary, going after everybody. They go after Brandon Jones, and actually Brandon Jones had more success versus LSU than any other DV. Actually, mm-hmm. you could argue that he won more than he lost when they targeted Brandon Jones in that game versus LSU. So, yeah. I think they, they watched the film, and Brian Flores who wants to play a lot of man-to-man, he's like, I I can trust Brandon Jones to cover a tight end, to cover a a running back, to cover that third, fourth wide receiver. I can trust him to do that. He's (laughs) shown that ability. And in that system, if that's the way they use him, Man, he could end up being a star.
0: Yeah, because he ended really, up starting
2: Pat. pretty early, too. You know, they got Adrian Colbert's starting safety.
0: Yeah, yeah the funny thing. Nothing against like Adrian
2: Colbert. He's a good player, but he's bounced around from team to team. Originally, drafted by the 49ers, mm-hmm. bounced around. He's a good player now, and he's proven to, uh, to be a really good professional, and he's going to start for them, project it to be the starter. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if Brandon Jones is cracking that starting lineup by his seasons end.
0: Oh, yeah, he could even be starting early on just because yeah. they've put people into the fire early on. And, like, I was just happy. With that landing spot, at the time I was a little worried, but when I saw the way the draft played out for the Dolphins, they're actually all in on this being their core of their future. He was the sixth pick of 65. They had, of the top 65 picks... They kept all six of their front ones, and he was the sixth guy of that 65 tour. If you think about that, you have an NFL draft, and you get six of the top 65 players. That's impressive, and very rarely do do you actually keep all those picks when you have them, and that was the worry was because you had seen the accumulation of picks with Miami, and back last year, whenever they traded away Minka Fitzpatrick in week two, everybody was sort of curious as to where the future was this Continuing sort of like the Sixers continued to just Mm -hmm. get as many picks possible, but never had the full vision in where going to implement it until they landed the Simmons and Embiid, and you're like, okay, this is the core they like, this is the core, and like. This draft going into it, you didn't know. Is this going to be the draft that the Dolphins actually deployed, or are they going to continue to move these Next picks if year. they don't pick yeah. and move back? And then the way it played out with them getting two at five and then to be able to get their corner mm-hmm. in the first, it, it became pretty evident, especially once they took Brandon. They didn't trade any of those top six of the 65 picks that they really liked him, and this was going to be one of their main core pieces. And when you can look at the roster, just within two days, they They were able to turn over 12 players and be able to insert them there, and he seemed to be a piece that fit – their most prized piece they traded out last year whenever yeah. they sent Fitzpatrick out so his fit was about as good as the Duvernay one that you brought up initially because there was no coach more jacked up for a pick than John Harbaugh whenever they landed the Duvernay pick and yeah. he spoke about how that sort of was the rhythm of those three picks that he wanted to get in those order and Duvernay was the key one for them too. Don't
2: forget that Brandon Jones also he's probably going to start off playing special teams. Brian Flores has started out his career as a special teams coach. We know the Patriots are obsessed with special teams. Mm -hmm. That's probably another reason he fell in love with Brandon Jones, too, because Brandon Jones can play almost every damn special teams unit that you put out there. Also, we know Belichickian disciples, they value high IQ football players. Mm -hmm. That that Brandon Jones uh, notebook experiment where he presented a game plan and presented his own kind of evaluation of their defense uh, with him as a member of that defense and how that played out, I can tell you right now, every Belichickian coach probably almost, you know, got got a little turned on. You know yeah. I mean? They were a little aroused by that because they want a player who can grasp mentally uh, you know, the game and actually be a kind of a coach on the field. Brandon Jones is that kind of guy. Rod,
1: right, it seems like everybody in that AFC East is kind of like, alright, load up right now, get your core in order because this thing's potentially for the first time in, in two decades is about to be open again.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can <laughs> sense it uh, there's no question about it. There's uncertainty for the first time about the New England Patriots in that division. So. I think, yeah, I think the the Dolphins are coming for it. The Buffalo Bills are already in a position, they showed that last year, but the Dolphins are going all in, and they were supposed to tank last year. And they ended up beating the Patriots, costing the Patriots (laughs) a a bye, which probably hurt the Patriots' ability to try to advance in the playoffs. Well, no doubt it hurt them, we just don't know how much. So, I mean, Ryan Flores is the real deal, man. I actually, but he's Belichickian, he's coached special teams, he's coached defense, he's one of those guys, and you know, I always think those guys have a great Mind to build a team yeah. from the ground
1: up. They were going to tank for it, and ended up getting Tua anyway. two anyway, uh, yeah. Two anyway yeah. yeah. You know, the one fit ride that I don't like, and it has nothing to do with the player, it just has to do with the organization. Colin Johnson going to Jacksonville, yeah. just that seems like Doug Marone is dead man walking. And I, I honestly thought, like, wasn't he supposed to be fired <laughs> last year and then wasn't? Yeah, and,
2: and he's—they've been well, now, now it's been a fire sale over there. Well, the it's because
0: of the Coughlin crap that happened. Because, Coughlin, I mean, you had the Coughlin's NFLPA on, right? going out and tell, advising players, yeah. do not sign with Jacksonville because this guy <laughs> is circumventing <laughs> your basic medical rules Crazy and finding people. Like, just Coughlin had to get ran out of that town because he was doing stuff that was illegal and the, the Owen Players Association was telling him not to. So that's what sort of kept... Morone's job because Morone was on the hot seat and then the guy that's going to fire him is fired and they don't have anybody running the organization but the owner's son at that point.
1: It's kind of like, Rod, you know, my how I view the Jaguars, and again, this is no knock at all on Colin Johnson. No, I think, I think I everybody's don't. happy for him to, that he was drafted, but yeah. it's kind of like the same opinion I used to have of the Bengals or the Raiders at a time, like, oh, I just think it's kind of like where guys go to die.
2: It's unfortunate. I, I'm, I'm with you because we talked about this. He's got it's a like, it's a good situation and a bad situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You look at the wide receiver. First of all, they like big wide receivers. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. And he's he's probably the biggest. All right, they got DJ Shark, who's there, six four one ninety eight. Chris Conley, six three two zero five. Um, Sharon Peak's on
1: that roster, isn't he? Who is? Sharon Peak? is on that roster, isn't he? He's like six uh,
2: I'm not sure. DD Westbrook is uh, is like six foot, he's not that big. But they, they drafted LaVisca Chenault, who's a bigger yeah. wide receiver, too. So that's kind of what they like. So I think he does fit the mode of whoever has the, the vision there, whatever they like at wide receiver. But they, they have Gardner Minshew as their starting quarterback now. All right. I think Colin Johnson, if he gets opportunities, as was a fifth-round pick, I think he will impress the coaches. Mm-hmm. The only thing that made his draft stock drop, we all know, is because he got hurt, which, which that, off, uh, uh, that just hurt his ability to, hit, to, to play on the field. And when he's not on the field, then he can't make those circus sole catches that are highlight catches that are all throughout his film. If you watch his film, all he does is make ridiculous Uh, catches that show his catch radius, that he can high point the football and he doesn't need separation to do that. You learn that when you watch Colin Johnson. Mm. Now, if you don't watch Colin Johnson, enough, all you think about is, well, he probably runs like a full six and I don't think he creates enough separation. But when you watch him, you realize, oh, he doesn't – that's not his X-man ability. Mm -hmm. That's not where he sets himself apart. He sets himself apart when he's even with a guy. When that ball becomes a 50-50 ball, he makes it an 80-20 ball. He gets enough reps in practice. He will show that. But – I don't know if he'll get enough reps in practice to be able to show that. That's my concern about Colin Johnson. They drafted him, but I don't know. Like when Devin Duvernay got drafted by the Ravens, they have a plan for Devin Duvernay. I know exactly what they're going to do with Devin Duvernay. I, I literally, I can, I know exactly what yeah. they're going to do. It's 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 so simple. They they're, they're going to turn Devin Duvernay into what Debo Samuel is for the San Francisco 49ers. That's a cheat code they don't have in their offense that they Mm. want in their offense. They want a wide receiver with running back tendencies. They're going to line them up in the flex, line them up tight there sometimes in the slot, and they're going to use them as part of the backfield motion, the reverses, and then they're going to put them on the jet sweeps, and they're going to run the pre-snap motion with Devin DuVernay coming here, and then that's how they're going to try to basically use – the momentum of the defenses against him. Mm-hmm. They got – even the J.K. Dobbins thing makes yeah. sense because he's going to be – the to oh help him run in between the tackles. He had more rushing yards than any other running back from the shotgun this year, more rushing yards than any other running back coming out of college football uh, from RPO rushes this year. Who runs more RPOs than any other team? Leroy Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. So they're going to pound the rock inside with Mark Ringham and J- J.K. Dobbins. They're going to stress the scenes with – Devin DuVernay and Mark Andrews, all right? So they're going to stress the seams. Now, if you want to double down and put eight in the box to try to stop them from pounding the rock inside, go ahead. But just know that Lamar Jackson will exploit and expose your edges. So mm-hmm. you better make sure you keep contained. They got Justice Hill to help them do that, too, as a running back that can hit the edge. And then as Hollywood Brown is going to raise the roof on yep. every play to keep that safety back. They have so many different different. You know, problems they're gonna present to a defense, it's impossible to solve all of them on any given play. And Lamar Jackson just gotta figure out, okay, oh, what are y'all trying to stop on this play? You gonna stop the you're gonna stop the inside run game? Okay, just one know. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's only so easy for him. So that's what Baltimore's doing, and you can see it, like I can visualize, and I can visualize Devin DuVernay either stressing the seams or you know, right down there with the safety or that nickel stretching the field or stretching them horizontally with him being a part of the backfield action in the running game. He's gonna be there, Debo Sanders. They combine more cheat codes than anybody else. RPOs, pistol formations, they run more shotgun, Mm -hmm. they run more quarterback runs than anybody else. And all of those different aspects, uh, you know, running backs running out of the shotgun, J.K. Dobbins now with Mark Ringham, all that. With all those cheat codes, they're going to combine one more now, and that is the wing back, which is a new, well, it's kind of new. It's an old throwback. Uh, yeah. philosophy and concept from the old wing T-days, a wide receiver who's lined up right there, flexed, right there uh, by that tackle off, off mm-hmm. that tight end there, and then he can always be a part of the backfield action. You always got to consider that gives them – eight men in the running game even when they're out of 11 personnel or something because that guy becomes a part of the running game and it's 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 Shano's it's, innovation but teams are stealing it now from Shano they want their version and Devin is the best version that I've seen in this draft even though Shano thinks Brian Brandon Ayuk was the number one receiver in the draft yeah
0: and then I mean you just and brought, his, it, brought it up board. right there and it was when we were watching the uh, Aggie play, play play game that we did in here back five weeks ago or whatever, and you saw what you were just describing with Duvernay right oh. off the tackle was where Greg Davis was lining up Roy Williams. If you look at his end arounds, whenever it was an innovative oh, yeah. idea, but yeah. like it was odd seeing how tightly split in almost mm. as a tight end he was in those formations, but it's just to be able to quickly get that service into the backfield and around yep. the backside. And that's exactly what DuVernay's uh, skill set, because he can motion out into any type of receiver mismatch or into the backfield yeah. if you aren't going to just keep them there if you don't already have it. And, like, when you couple in a guy like Dobbins, because when you heard first last year Justice Hill, seeing how Justice Hill was used was great. But seeing, like, when I first saw J.K. Dobbins get drafted and oh, see man. the – I mean, I immediately thought of Vince and the two, two – Thousand yard season that Chris Johnson had with Vince Young next to him was because of the fact that you had that dual threat and just yeah. the quickness. And I mean, it's just a step, but Mark Ingram didn't necessarily have that step. Now you needed somebody to pound into plod, but when you saw Justice Hill back there with Lamar at times last year, they were so explosive. And then now, when you add in a guy like J.K. Dobbins that can help with that role, their run game is going to be so explosive, which is just going to help Duvernay yeah. and Hollywood Brown. And then when you just think about like all of us think back when you think of a Ravens receiver and just body type, he looks like a Steve Smith, but it's a 2.0. It's a modern version that can be flexed into any position and role that isn't relegated just to being an outside wide receiver. And Duvernay couldn't have landed probably at a better spot.
1: Ron, I love that you, uh, and I appreciate the fact that you throw me into the group of football theorists because that's kind of how my mind works. Oh, yeah, man. And did you back in in any point in football, did you play in a wing tee offense? No, I played against a couple in high school, though. (laughs) I I did play in a wing tee offense. Yeah, man. So I'm very familiar with it. And, and, you know, there's some teams in high school, Liberty Hills, the prime example around Mm. Great Austin, they run slot tee. Yeah. And the one thing the wing T and the slot tee, what it's all about, it, it's all about misdirection. Mm-hmm. It's all about misdirection. And that's it. And my favorite play when we were, you know, my stuff when we were in high school, when we were running a legit wing T offense, we modified it a little bit to to get more uh we weren't running 11 personnel but to get more uh, we get out more 21 you. personnel yeah. so we weren't so much like 22 personnel and everything in. Just lunched in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we spread out a little bit, but when we were running um a legit wing T offense. My favorite play out of that was it was a play we call X26 OE, which is basically just like a wing back sweep, which Ooh. you get motion going this way. And then you come you pull, the, oh, And yeah. the OGE, you pull the off guard and the tight end, and the mm. wing back's coming back. So that, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was like, thing it's like butter too. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the bread and butter was yep. X26 OE.
2: Uh, I still uh, remember that. That's pretty good. Love that the I play. Love that play. I, that
1: play. <laughs> um, I, think, and I think we changed it to. 20, so when we kind of modernized a little bit, I think we just called it 26 OGE. Maybe <laughs> got the other way around. But I loved it. But it's all about misdirection. Yep. Getting getting your – and that guy was a unique skill set. The wingback was a different position mm-hmm. than the split-in. Our split-in was more yep. of, hey, who's just our best receiver? And the wingback was typically, all right, you're not you're not maybe as, as fast as our or maybe have good as hands as our split-in. Mm-hmm. And you're not maybe we can't pound you between the tackles like our running backs. But – you're just such a good athlete. We're going to put you here and get you misdirectional. Or maybe you get one-on-one with a linebacker or a safety if, it's, if it works right. And then you know, you're off to the races. So, but to take something like that from an antiquated offense like the wing T, mm. and to see it now in the National Football League in 2020 it's that amazing, guys right? like Kyle Shanahan and Greg Roman are like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to use this and, and use it to my advantage. It is beautiful, man. I can't tell you how much I, I love seeing just football kind of come full circle like that.
2: No, I remember Eric Weddle said last year when the Ravens played the Rams, I mean, he used to play for the Ravens, but he was playing for the Rams now and they're starting safety. He said, uh, I kid yeah. you not, half of the time, I didn't know who had the ball. Because they have so much misdirection in their offense, but they truly didn't have a guy like Duvernay. They didn't have a guy that that, yeah. that was a hybrid. Who, <laughs> when you get the ball in his hands, he basically becomes a running back. That is why I think they targeted Duvernay. And some people say they drafted with James Proche and uh yeah, from SMU. Prochet's
1: another one of those guys. They, they're doubling he's so down. Fast.
2: They're doing what, what what Shanahan did when Shanahan drafted Debo Samuel. Remember the next year he drafted Jalen Hurd, mm-hmm. who played running back at Tennessee and then played yeah. wide receiver at Baylor. So he's like, no, no, no. And in case Debo gets hurt, I'm not going to change my entire offense. I got two wing backs ready yep. to go, and that's the same thing Baltimore's doing because they are now, I think, going to double down. They're going to add this as a dimension of the offense. I'm telling you, it's going and all. The, he's still going to have wide receiver screens because they know that's just an extended handoff. So they're, just, they're still going to have the quick pop for Lamar Jackson who goes uh, and he's going to give it to Duvernay. And Duvernay is great as the with the extended handoff, which is the wide receiver screen. And think about the RPO; they run more RPOs than anybody else. So his pop Pass for the RPO, all right, and his read pass is going to be either the Mark Andrews most of the time or Devin Duvernay Mm -hmm. on one other side, stretching the field. Yeah, ain't that funky? (laughs) And then, other than that, he's going to be the guy part of the backfield motion. Those are going to be his three, in my opinion, his three responsibilities as their wing back. It's going to be the wide receiver screen, the stretch the seams with that, with the RPO pass, and it's going to be a part of the backfield motion. And he's going to be Man, he's gonna be successful early. He really is. And I mean,
1: what round? What round did they take James Rochea? Was It was like a fifth round. round? Yeah, it's, it's Fifth it or
2: sixth? Yeah, it's like fifth or sixth. I was, remember that. Was, it was, it was and late. him, I just know like, him. He's feet.
0: another one of those guys. So much production he got his last two years in college, yeah. and now you look at the skill. Like just look at those skill guys for the Ravens. You got Oklahoma, you got Oklahoma, you got Texas, you got Oklahoma State, and then you got a kid from Lagrange and J.K. Dobbins and Prochet. backing them up. Like it's all it is. It's tough about Yes, one hundred
2: percent. Well, at Big Victor football and there's some teams now figuring out and we knew this would happen, right? You had for the first time in the history of the Big 12, two linebackers taken in the first round. First time in the <laughs> yeah, it's a
0: tech linebacker. We're talking you got about a go, tech linebacker. Yeah,
2: go tech linebacker. So go all the way, you can go all the way back to, you know, when we actually did play defense and it was respected in the Big 12 in the late 2000s. And yet still, we, wouldn't have, we didn't have two linebackers. I like how you brought that round. up,
0: though, man. Yeah.
2: So, and and, and think about, it. like you said, one was from Oklahoma and one was from Texas Tech. tech but those guys were, they're basically big safeties, right? Uh, yeah, there's bigger safeties. And they can run, and they in this modern age of football, which is basically like you said, Big Twelve football. Those guys are perfect linebackers. And Patrick Queen with the Ravens, God, the Ravens, <laughs> unbelievable. So uh, good. He's another one of those kind of those guys.
0: Yeah, and ball I, ball. I said it out loud the second that he got drafted. But when I saw it, I was like, finally, look at that—the NFL coming to the Big Twelve for defenders no because doubt. now you finally. Because we were talking about the last mm-hmm. five years that the skill set is going to translate on offense, and you saw that the NFL comes to the Big 12 to get their offense players, and the only way to be able to respond to that, it takes time, but then is to come and get the guys best fit to defend them, and that's where we may see that wave come back, and then now, instead of it being viewed as a detriment, these guys that were viewed as diminutive or couldn't do certain things – their niches are going to be so in demand because they are the only ones experienced with defending these type of players. First
1: round
2: Tech had a linebacker drafted in the first round uh, since Senior Sack in 1983.
1: Okay. Defensive player, period.
2: <laughs> defensive player, yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah, defensive player.
1: Yeah, Gabe Rivera in yeah. 1983.
0: Yeah. Senior Sack, I Senor like Sack. that name. It's a great nickname.
1: Uh, not, but, Rod, not just the Big 12, but where has a lot of the Big 12 offensive innovation started? started in the state of Texas, mm-hmm. high J.K. Football. Dobbins, and not just, not just offensive guys, but J.K. Dobbins, Justin Matabike, Devin Duvernay, Broderick Washington, James Prochet, five of the Ravens draft picks, all played high school football in Texas.
2: That's mm-hmm. pretty wild. Well, there were 33 players drafted for the state of Texas, so <laughs> more than any of the state. Oh, you had that stat. That stat was awesome <laughs> with the cities. Oh, yeah. There were 13 players drafted from Houston, 12 from DFW, from the greater Houston area, from the DFW area. So 13 to 12, 25. That would be more than any other state had drafted in the NFL draft in 2020, except for the state of Texas, which had 33 total. So yeah. Houston and DFW. So I, honestly, I'm starting to. And if, honestly, it's been that way for a while. Like, this is not a new thing. Not that no. they've dominated the NFL draft like this, but that Houston and DFW have been that way forever. We've always had. That I remember thing. us doing sports and,
0: radio together, and we found the numbers, and it was only at certain years. Miami or Los Angeles were the only be, metro yeah, areas that yeah. were
2: comparable
0: Atlanta, to Dallas. Yeah, and, you're right. Yeah, to is, Dallas and it, Houston. It's
2: Miami. It's Fort Lauderdale. Los Angeles. I think every now and then New Orleans and Atlanta pop up yeah. in there somewhere. I'll pull up somewhere. a new study. I'll but see now, it, from year to year, Houston is constantly in the top five, though, constantly. Yeah. Every now and then I think Dallas will even fade out. Dallas fades out just a bit. Houston, because Houston, with Hurricane Katrina, when 250,000 people from the state of Louisiana take refuge in Houston, which was already a football mecca, producing NFL players per capita at a top five rate for decades – When you have the city, sorry, the state of Louisiana, which per capita is always top five too, and producing NFL players South Carolina, always, and then you basically have merged those two football cultures right there in Houston. I know it sounds crazy, and Tom Herman's done a good job of recruiting Houston, but you almost got to double down on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you, it's crazy to say it. You just need to start doubling down on Houston and Dallas, and I know the rest of Texas, there's a lot of talent out there, but East Texas had four players drafted <laughs> on the way to Louisiana. Yeah. So my point, we, we got one player on our roster from Louisiana in Texas. One. Dude, and Louisiana is producing... If you go going to look at Louisiana had 12 players drafted. East Texas had four players drafted. Houston had 13 players draft. They're just on your way to Louisiana. You can just hit that little corridor, and that's, that's just tons of NFL talent right there. So, I, honestly, I would challenge Tom Herman, you've got to start getting a presence in Louisiana, man. Because Mack had more of a presence in Louisiana, I think, well, than Tom Herman does.
1: Because you, gotta, you, you when, got to. When man. you got to, When you talk about recruiting in the state of Louisiana, you've you got to look at it from two different mindsets there's north Louisiana, kind of Shreveport area, which, mm-hmm. which your East Texas, Tyler Longview, that's gonna bleed into northern yeah. Louisiana. And then you talk about recruiting Metro New Orleans and Baton Rouge, which is, that's a total, you gotta have, if you're gonna recruit there, Rod, you've got to have somebody that's got ties to that area, which mm-hmm. is why Charlie hiring Brick Haley, Charlie wanted to get a foothold in Louisiana, hiring smart Brick role. Haley was really, really smart. Whoa. And lo and behold, they got a guy who's got a chance to play in the NFL and Malcolm Roach out of, out of that room.
2: Mm-hmm. Undrafted free agent for New Orleans, $95,000 guaranteed net contract. That's pretty damn good.
1: Which, when you look at that, though, I didn't realize the Saints <laughs> only had five picks in the draft. Yeah. And didn't draft the defensive lineman. Not that they need one because they invested a first-round pick in Marcus Davenport. Mm-hmm. They signed Malcolm Brown as a free agent. You still got Cameron Jordan on your roster, That's true. so it's not that they needed draft picks. But Malcolm Roach is going to have a chance. I mean, I think he's got a chance. I think and he's got a
2: real shot to make that roster. If not, make the roster, then be a practice squad project. for yeah. Somebody because he's so raw. You talk about someone who's so malleable. When you're your defensive coach, you look at this guy, you say, "Hello." Oh, so you played linebacker and mm-hmm, also mm-hmm. played DN and D tackle. So you beefed up to, to almost three hundred pounds for the combine and still ran a four eight. I mean. I just got to figure out somewhere in place. So I think New Orleans, which you know, I think they're just a very progressive organization, a smart smart mind, smart minded organization, I should say. Mm -hmm. I think they'll take a chance on what they already have, but I think they'll actually try to put him on a practice squad if he can't make that roster. But no, he's got a shot to make the roster, man. He's a good football player and he's a coach's son. Like he gets it. Yeah, you know he does.
1: Yeah, and Zach Shackleford in Tampa, he said that. Yeah, I look the Bucks only out I don't know the Tampa Bay Bucks offensive line roster, how many of their guards can play mm-hmm. center, but they've only got one center on their roster. Is that true? Yeah.
2: Oh, so he could be getting some he could be giving snaps to the GOAT. That'd be Could awesome. now you know how it yeah. is, Rod? If you're That'd if you're the awesome. if
1: you're the rookie undrafted free agent, you're not you're not hey. giving snaps to Tom Brady in minicamp.
2: I'm just saying but. they only got one center there. they can happen because that one yeah. center sometimes you know they're like, oh yeah. no, nah, let me throw you a different situation. Oh, you tied. Or oh, if he's the only center, they're like, we don't want to him to get hurt. So let put that little rookie in there. Let him no, go take some. Run. I'm telling you, man, you'd be surprised. You'll end up with Tom Brady fondling your your nether regions because you end up getting a giving a snap to the
0: goat. No, one hundred percent. I mean, I mean yeah. I, the second I saw that he signed, I immediately thought of Lyle Sinline, and Lyle did the same thing. It just was a guy He took a spot at a <laughs> camp from an area that had a good veteran quarterback, and within two years, he's starting that you know center and
2: Super Bowl. Sinline was a better morning. player than Yeah, can I, t-
1: can, I <laughs> can I just tell y'all real quick? This is a funny story, and Rod, you just mentioned that made me think of it. My my JV football coach described how uh because Rod you know football coaches when you at a time when everybody's under center mm-hmm. football coaches are like you need to get pressure you need to get, <laughs> get some pressure <laughs> so I remember like nut- <laughs> <So> my, <laughs> J- my I remember, my, my, I remember my, my JV football <laughs> coach telling quarterbacks he would come over the offensive lines like who's who's my center? because you know JV coaches don't know names like, who's my center oh I'm a center. this is so, him talking so, to like come a 15 year old and then he's telling quarterbacks he's like I remember he says. he's like what you want to do to get pressure he's like. You see, Show me your middle finger. Sounds like here. I've heard this. See your, see your knuckle right there? You want to make sure you get it right there, right near his bunghole, right there, and give it a little pressure. <laughs> well, I've heard the same thing from a coach, a knuckle in the grundle.
2: <laughs> see, that's what I'm saying. That's, you know, you, it, hey, that's a great story. You can say Tom Brady You know, knuckled me in my perineum. Boy, you know? well, and you know, then that. think about it. Like, <laughs> that's we're great, talking great about – And this I'm is just an everyday
0: that. conversation in high school football with 15-year-olds.
2: Yeah. Nobody talks about how centers <laughs> are actually trained technically, but that is it. that's, they that's really... what they tell you. Like, <laughs> you put yeah. like, a little
1: pressure right there, you gotta get pressure. It's very
2: graphic. Yeah. Like, I, well, I love the shotgun. It's like, oh, you know what, let's just socially distance ourselves and just give me the shotgun. Oh, yeah. Everybody,
1: coach, like, anybody else want to, anybody else to snap? No, coach, I'm going over here. If <laughs> you're here.
2: Shaq, you'd be like, Shaq, you want that, you want Tom Brady there, so you'd be like, can I work <laughs> some, uh, can we work some under center with you, talk? Would you mind for a I'll second? Go, uh, <laughs> well,
0: I'll go work is, on my
1: kick slide over here. I'm, isn't
0: uh, even getting into some of the foul stories where, like, you talk about a lineman that just didn't want to have to go to the bathroom, so they just go in their pants, and you're just sitting there dealing with Schler this. I to to slur test that story. Yes. yes that's Schler. disgusting. And just yeah. slapping
1: around. Yeah. yeah. All not, right, you just ruined it, Matt. Thanks. I never, I <laughs> never.
0: bit, you just A guy named
1: Stink. <laughs> You know, Rod, you wanna watch something freaky on film that I tried to replicate in high school one time to a high level of failure. Go watch pass blocking film of Randall McDaniel and watch his stance. Like his, le- his left his left leg is almost at like a forty five degree oh, angle. Is it
2: where his knee was almost on the yeah. ground? Yeah. I have seen that. Or like that his before. leg's almost at a ninety yeah, degree angle. It's weird. Like how do you like you a, not break He's a freaking Hall
1: work. of Fame guard, so it worked yeah. out for him. But
2: I have seen that before. That is weird. Yeah. Somebody showed shown me that before.
1: That
0: must be like he had some type of I don't know, restrictive man. bow-leggedness but or something where you're almost putting yourself
2: in your next step it, before it, you get there. The fact that he made it all the way to the league like that, and like you said, Hall of Famer, that's crazy. They aren't going to change your, your, the it must, way you're That's how good he in. was, though. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> that, unlike Casey Hampton at times when he would shade over the ball, like he was almost lined up like facing the sideline yeah. at times. I I remember that too. I never understood that. Yeah, but like, what is?
2: I think yeah. they so because they, I, I could be off about this, but I believe that allows you to take up two blockers quicker. Okay, you know what I mean. I'm, Instead of like they, they could they could single block you easier if you were just head up. The more head up mm-hmm. you are, you got that angle, then you'll easily boom. You, he's trying to demand a double team. That's the whole point. So he's trying to force the
1: double team. Because I, I never really saw anybody but Casey do it, and I figured yeah. if it feels bad technique. I don't. I mean, Mike Tollison's yeah. probably not going to tell Casey Hampton he's wrong. And he
2: would face, I believe he would face, and I can't, like I said, I keep you up, it's been a while. It, I believe he was facing were toward a gap that he would yeah. defend. So they would give him like more gaps to defend than everybody else. Like, nah, Casey, you can defend, <laughs> you can defend two gaps, right? Yeah, I can defend two gaps. All right. Two 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 and a half gaps? Yeah, I can do two and a half gaps. So he would literally face it and he would just kind of run down the line as he was being double teamed and led the team in tackles one year and very successfully. So he would just kind of run down the line and boom, he would just kind of, he'd, he'd cover like two or three gaps. <laughs> all by himself. Oh, by the way, Sean Rogers was there too. It's basically his gap. If it's you touch
0: Casey Hampton, he consumes you. Like that's basically um, what it was on the O line. Like, yeah, he was he like a superhero. Around him. Yes. Like you exactly.
2: got, you, if you touched him, then and then somehow, he was going
0: to consume your body and not let you. Because it always through. took
2: two guys to block him. and mm-hmm. One guy couldn't block him. He would go upfield. You, were, the best thing they could do is they wanted Casey Hampton going <laughs> parallel to the line. Yes. You <laughs> want him going? Is it disrupting? And you would keep him, and he would basically he would play into that. It's like all right, they're going to double team. Me anyway instead of me fighting to go upfield all the time and penetrate and you know and you're trying to reset the line of scrimmage you may do that successfully I don't <laughs> know two out of five times but instead of doing that and having those two guys block you and just basically nullify your impact how about I roam the line of scrimmage and I let two guys block me but I'll still be an impact player because once that running back chooses a gap yeah. I am a moving stop gap. I'm a moving defender. Yeah, I mean? and then the defender yeah. can come instead in of behind him, him, just him in one gap, like just like this, fighting off two Point guys, in theory, like that's. That. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, he was athletic enough to do it. And
0: that's resetting you know I mean? the line of scrimmage just a different way, instead of yeah. vertically, horizontally. horizontally. And if you're now, taking three bodies, then you can easily see a linebacker has plenty of space to come in. in good. You, you can, come just, if you're, you have a linebacker that can play well off of Hampton, you just play well and fill that gap behind. So a
2: linebacker him. can't play well. Don't <laughs> let that guy. <laughs> That field <laughs>
1: exactly there's a couple other things i want to hit in a in couple minutes we've got left and one is rod i don't know if you've seen these articles i'm sure you have our, our staff at 24 7 sports has been great at putting them out since the draft if you are somebody who's in the stars don't matter club well mm-hmm. this nfl draft still exists this nfl draft mm-hmm. kicked you right the tenders <laughs> they're not the
2: only thing
1: that matters right <laughs> between the 2016 and 2017 recruiting classes rod Uh, 62.3% of five-star prospects were drafted, and this is according to the 24-7 Sports Composite over two recruiting cycles, 16 and 17. 62.3% of the five-star prospects were drafted, Mm. 23.5% of the four-star prospects were drafted, 6% of the three-star prospects, and just 1.6% of two-star prospects were drafted. What's the
2: percentage of the four-star again?
1: Uh, 23.5. 23.5. So basically, uh, as Chris Hummer writes, with that under consideration, the likelihood of being drafted is weighed heavily towards the higher-ranked recruits. In fact, a five-star was 10.4 times more likely than a three-star to hear their name called during the 2020 NFL draft.
2: I, is it possible that there's a little truth to this statement, though, that you know stars don't matter in the sense that you guys in the recruiting world have just gotten so much better at your jobs. I don't. I think the the accuracy of the recruiting rankings has improved dramatically I'll from the time. 20 years ago. Yeah, yes. from yeah, the 50s. I mean, back in the day, it was like, oh god, you got no to talk about. Now better, it's like, no, better is
1: a relative term. Yeah, I, mean, um, I think I think there's more information now. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm
2: saying, you, they're more accurate though. Yeah, yeah. they're way more accurate yeah. than it yeah. used to be. No question. Well, and, and with the
0: more well, information, you're,
1: you're, you're gonna have and they, misses, and they, they matter. I'm gonna say they always matter, right. but I'm they're they're ridiculously accurate. now. You're gonna have missing. And, I, you know, yeah. I have to deal with the stuff on Twitter. Oh, Le'Veon Bell was a two-star. Yeah, yeah. And J.J. Watt, Watt Great. You found one guy out <laughs> of 1,300. Justin, Justin Jefferson yeah. was zero it's stars. Like his, good luck like trying yeah, to get that found, guy in development. You found yeah. the one guy. So... Yeah. I totally yeah, agree. I mean, look, if you're still in the group that think, oh, stars don't matter, I'd rather have a hard-working three-star bullcrap because I can tell you Nick Saban doesn't want a group of hard-working three-stars. He wants the best damn college players he can find every oh, year. Yeah. And so does Davo Sweeney, and so does Tom Herman, and so does Ed Orgeron, et cetera, et cetera, cetera. Yeah, they
2: go on down the list.
1: <laughs> so there's that. And then, uh, you know, Rod, we could pick this up next week too. Uh, you know, linebackers been in a, a position we've discussed ad nauseum this offseason, mm-hmm. and we probably will until – we get to game action and see what it looks like yeah but like we said there's two two big 12 linebacker well actually before i get the linebacker i want to uh go over and look at some of the longhorns in the nfl yeah. that are currently in the nfl and how it impacts them uh i was interested to hear the chargers say they still have plans for malik jefferson even though they took a linebacker kenneth murray in the first round uh they still they had high grades on malik jefferson coming out and they're going to give him a chance to to make their roster.
2: Yeah, we talked about the culture of football. It helps Malik Jefferson. I mean, I would, that's that's Big 12 football they're playing in the field. And the Chargers, they love speed, period. Yeah. They'll play seven damn DBs they got to to put a speed on the field. It helps to have a linebacker that can run.
1: So I thought that was interesting. Yep. Uh, the other thing, you know, the Vikings taking Jeff Gladney the first I saw round. saw that. And I was like, I well, wonder- maybe that's not good for Chris Boyd and Holton Hill. But then I remember, well, you know, they let Xavier Rhodes walk. I think they cut mm-hmm. Xavier Rhodes and they mm-hmm. let Trey Waynes walk in free agency. Yeah. So... It sounds like, right? It sounds like they, number one, it sounds like they like Chris Boyd. And two, man, it, until Mike Zimmer is ready to give up on Holton Hill, which it doesn't sound like he's ready to yet, those, those two guys still have a chance to make that roster.
2: Man, we all know if Holton Hill yeah, be had a better roster. head on his shoulders, he'd have been All American that year.
1: He, if he, I mean, because
2: he'd have played the whole year and he was already off to an All American start. He'd have and been, he's, he would have been in that, in that draft
1: class that had four draft picks Connor Williams, Malik Jefferson, right? Deshaun Elliott, Michael Dixon. He'd have been the first off the
2: board. You know what I mean? And Like he and he's, We talk about the NFL body that you love about Jalen Green. Holding him long. He looks like a Seattle Seahawks corner. Yeah. He looks like Richard Sherman out there sometimes. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I can see why Zimmer's like, all right, he's got some knucklehead in him, but he's cheap as hell. I didn't have yeah. to pay nothing for him. <laughs> yeah. I and now so I don't have to worry about weed. Dollar. And him and Chris Boyd are, you know, I think he's hoping Chris Boyd, there's a story about it actually they, in, in their local papers. Some Tribune up there or something. Uh, Minneapolis Tribune it could be yeah. Um, where they talk about Chris Boyd and Holden Hill and how they kind of believe that Chris Boyd's a good a, having this kind of calming effect on Holden Hill that it helps to have because they how close they are, they're brothers. DBU of course. Well,
0: and they're both in the too um, deep right now. Like they, yeah. and if you watched the end so, of the season last year, Holden Hill was impacted. Yeah, they it. both so,
1: committed to Texas on the same day together. Yeah,
2: so, and yeah. Holden Hill, of course, even in the NFL, has had to face some demons. You know what I mean and fight some of those demons. But I think they, his upside is ridiculous and he's so cheap man that's the one thing having a high upside and being cheap ask Alden Smith all right it'll get no. you a lot of chances <laughs> Randy Gregory you got a high upside and you're really cheap hey you know what NFL will give you a shot and
0: maybe they're just hanging out in the off season, but I've seen he's been with Earl Thomas a lot too with Holton so mm-hmm. like that may only help and then the idea that you don't have to worry about weed suspensions going forward so Do you like that's who the agent
2: is? Is this agent David Mulagetta Yes, I believe so. I don't think so. I'll double check I don't, know if, check I don't so. know if it is. And it, it would make sense that it would be because of all the connections but I don't know if it is. My point is if it is that helps too cuz I mean he might be the He's one of the top five agents. In the I don't think right I
1: don't now. think he I don't think uh, David was representing him coming whole, out, but okay. he might now. I'm gonna say
2: because of know. the family, it's a, I, the Longhorn connection with David is is big. So I yeah, want to you get him. that that
1: Kenny Vaccaro, uh yeah, Earl, Earl Thomas, Thomas
2: yeah, so. and H Town with the Deshaun Watson thing and Holtons from H Town. So he spends a lot of time. The H-Town
1: two other guys H-Town. I wanted to hit on real quick, Rod. You know, Malcolm Brown still chugging along with the Rams, and they drafted a running back in the second round, but. Sean McVay is still adamant like he really likes Malcolm Brown, and they're going to keep giving Malcolm (laughs) Brown carries. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, like... Malcolm oh, Brown sure. has has had this weird career, where undrafted free agent, special teams guy, now five stars though. But people are like, <laughs> and, and and every time Sean McVay gets asked about a run back, you ready to upgrade? He's like, no, we 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 like we, we like Malcolm Brown. Malcolm but he, he is a
2: great complement of a, of a lot of different you know tools, running back, great running back tools. You know, what I mean, he is he is he's got a great base and got great balance. He's not speedy, but. He's not a slow running back. He still can run off tackle if you need him to. He's got a perfect complement of speed and power. I've always, we've already loved Malcolm Brown. That's why well, y'all gave him five stars, for yeah. God's sakes. Uh, so I'm not shocked about that. Daryl Henderson's still there with yep. the Rams, too, and they drafted a running back with the Cam Akers. Akers? Yep. So, yeah, he's going to be a part of it, man. Like It's, it's crazy that he's outlasted Todd Gurley there. <laughs> we'll,
1: we'll carry the linebacker stuff to next week because I want to get more into that. But the last guy I want to mention real quick, Rod, however you slice it, this is a huge off season in Dallas for Connor Williams now because yeah. you drafted Connor McGovern last year and he's going to be mm-hmm. healthy. And it sounds like they've got big plans for him and Tyler is just kind of fell in their lap yeah, and we're like, Hey, we got to go up and get this guy. He's still here. There's no way we thought he's going to be here. Yep. So with Travis Frederick retiring, you, you've got Joe Looney at uh, probably just for one more year. Um, there's been talk, maybe Connor Williams could cross train center a little bit. Maybe he ends up being their swing guy, but man, for a guy that started day one as a rookie, this just became a massive offseason for Connor Williams as far as his future in Dallas. Goes.
2: Yep, I'm with you, and I have heard that they are thinking about cross training him as center too. Wouldn't be a bad idea. He should be very open to it because yes. the more things you can do, uh, the better. I mean, the more rosters you'll make in the NFL. But the Cowboys, listen, they always they love O line, and even when they have depth at O line, they double down on it. And now it's paying off for him. The Travis Frederick retirement, so at least they have options with Connor McGovern and now with Connor Williams, too. But Tyler Biotis, hell, I wouldn't doubt if he's ended up starting for them by the end of the season. I, I mean, mean this
1: was a guy, Rob, that was on the yeah, board in day two, and yeah. we're thinking, okay, he's going to go at some point, probably here in the third round.
2: Yeah, I, um, I wouldn't doubt if he's the starter there. So, But I'm with you, Connor Williams... Yeah, it's kind of a do-or-die year for him. He's, he's supposed to be cracking that starting lineup somehow, and I know he has, but I don't know if he's, he's disappointed at times. He's been inconsistent, but he's still a young
1: it player. It seemed like he was starting to get it a little bit before he got hurt last year.
2: Yeah, he's still a young player, though.
1: So. All right, well, that, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. We'll get to linebackers next week, because so I think that's a really in-depth conversation uh, that we can get into. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man.
0: You're more than welcome. Rod
1: B., thanks for the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. Streaming on the Horn app and hornfm.com, where you can get Rod B. each and every weekday on the triple option from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get me and Craig Way on Light the Tower each and every weekday from 10 Noon, and thanks to Matt, you get all of our archives, classic interviews, classic shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page.
0: Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz
1: and search Horns twenty four seven podcast. No matter how you get your podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, you get us, State of Recruiting, and the flagship Just Search Horns twenty four seven podcast for the Horn family, for the Horns twenty four seven family. I'm Jeff Out. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again.